but a relationship with them. And so we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit in the earth? Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? And we said that God, when he created man, placed man on the earth in a different role, in a different capacity than what he put everything else here. He created man to control, manage, have dominion, and rule on the earth. But man wasn't to rule the earth however he wanted to. Adam was not in the garden saying, what do I think that should be? Or what do I think I'm going to do with that? Or where do, you, where do I think I'm going to go? Or where do I think I want to live? He was ruling and living and managing the earth and on the earth how God wanted him to. And the only way God could do that, being in an unseen realm and Adam being in a seen realm, was put a mediator in there, put a communicator between the two realms, and that was the Holy Spirit. He breathed into man, formed him out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that was the Holy Spirit. That was Adam and Eve's ability to be able to walk on the earth and manage and, and do what he was supposed to do on the earth the way God intended him to. But we saw something come in that damaged the whole process, damaged the whole system, and that was sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God, uh, when they ate the fruit, it wasn't the fruit that was so sinful, it was what the, the fruit represented. And the fruit re- represented, I'm going to do what I want to do. The disobedience against God was just Adam saying, just Adam and Eve saying, my own will, what I want to do. And it is impossible. Number one key to authority is authority is immediately taken away if you come out from under the system that you are supposed to operate under. So as soon as Adam and Eve sinned against God, they came out from his authority. Now the world has come out from under the authority of Adam. Okay? So, sin came into man. Well, sin got so rampant and got so crazy and the earth got so corrupted and was heading towards destruction that God in Genesis chapter 6 says, I've got to remove my spirit. My spirit can no longer strive with man. So, from that point on, God was always working to get his spirit back in man. We know this, that uh, the kingdom foundation tells us that God was not working a plan Uh, to get man back to heaven because Adam and Eve didn't fall from heaven. They fell from dominion. They fell from their authority and rulership in the earth. Um, So God is always trying to get man back in that position, but the only way man can be back in the position he once was is if he is carrying what he once had, and that was the Holy Spirit. So then we saw that Jesus came, and Jesus came, and he did not come to... Uh, die on a cross, uh, and rise again to give us eternal life in heaven. He came to remove sin out of man and to place the Holy Spirit. Salvation is twofold. Salvation is twofold. Now, you go to a lot of churches, and they'll agree with you on that. They'll say, yes, salvation is twofold. It's getting you out of hell and getting you into heaven, right? And that's twofold. But that's not what we're preaching, and that's not what Jesus preached. Jesus didn't talk about getting out of hell and going to heaven. He talked about getting sin out and getting the kingdom in. See, he wasn't, he wasn't concerned with getting you out of somewhere. He was concerned with getting something into the earth. And the only way the kingdom is getting into the earth is within you and is through you. Remember, he said, the kingdom of God is not here or there. You can't see it with your eyes. It's not with observation. But the kingdom is within you. Which means that God, if he's releasing his kingdom throughout this earth, he's first releasing his kingdom within man. And we saw last week that when he said the kingdom is within you, he was actually stating that that's the Holy Spirit coming within you. Remember last week we said that the Holy Spirit is a kingdom agent. Which means that wherever the Holy Spirit goes, so goes the kingdom. So when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside a person, inside a man, the kingdom has just come inside the person. Now, it takes us yielding. It takes us cooperating with that. And so that's why we've been talking. We came out of the person of the Holy Spirit, and we started talking about the life of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, and we're going to finish that out tonight, the life of the Spirit. Because remember I said that the Holy Spirit is not just a power. It's not an emotional thing. It's not a feeling. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. I feel His presence. I feel His power. You can feel Him, but you can feel Him because He's first a person. And so many people want to obtain a power, but never want to associate themselves with the person. Many people want 
to have what the Holy Spirit brings, but they don't want to get to know the Holy Spirit and walk with Him on a daily basis. So we've seen people, and I told you in my own personal life, I've seen people that have operated in gifts of the Spirit, have seen uh, awesome things happen by their hands, can give a, a, a word of knowledge or a tongue and interpretation like nobody's business. And gifts of the Spirit are flowing. But then we come to find out that over time, their conduct just continues to fail. And they continue to do things that we know are not spiritual. So these spiritual people that we deem being uh, so miraculous and so holy and so spiritual are really not spiritual at all. So then what is the true test of someone's spiritual lifestyle? It's very simple. It's in their character and their conduct. And so we've been talking about this life of the Spirit. We talked about the great dilemma. Remember, we talked about Paul, and he states, you know, I want to do this. My spirit inside me wants to do this, but I always seem to do this. I always seem to do the opposite. Or I don't want to do this thing. I want to get away. I want to let this thing go. But for some reason, I continue to do it over and over and over. And so we talk about that great dilemma. But then we, remember, we finish it out by saying that Paul states, thank God by Jesus Christ, thank God by Christ the anointing, the Holy Spirit upon me, that I have the ability now to not do things that I'm not supposed to do and to do the things that God's asking me to do. See, when we all, when we break it down, and I'm, I'm realizing this in my own life as a, as a parent now, um, that really all God's looking for is obedience. If you just break it down. I mean, with my son, that's all I'm looking for. If I say don't do that, don't do it. If I say come here, come here. If I say don't go over there, don't go over that. It's really, when you break it down, just obey me. That's what we're looking for. And that's what God's looking for with us. And the Holy Spirit comes within us. Remember we said that our life is choice-driven. You make the choice. You make the choice if you're going to do what God asks you to do, if you're not going to do what God asks you to do. And the Holy Spirit's not in your life to help you make the choice between Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Fruity Pebbles. He's in your life to help you make the decisions that help you walk out God's purpose for your life, that help you demonstrate proper character and conduct in your life and help you live out the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and in fact, fruit of the Spirit is where we're going to go next week. We're going to start, we're going to nail out the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to talk to you about the gifts of the Spirit before we get to the fruit of the Spirit. Because here's the thing about gifts. Gifts come on a person. You have a gift. You have a talent. You have something that you bring to the body. But fruit, that is what keeps you there. See, a gift will get you somewhere. A gift, a talent, will get you on the worship team. But the fruit is what keeps you on the worship team. See, your ability to sing, and your ability to play drums, and your ability to teach kids, and your ability to teach uh, uh, adults, that's a gift. And man, I know a lot of gifted people that have rotten fruit. And so guess what? They aren't able to be in the position of the gift. You know, I know churches that they will put someone in a position of a gift and turn their turn their face to turn their head to the fruit. I don't want don't you don't need to be accountable to me. I don't want to know what you I don't know what your, I don't want to know what your lifestyle's like. I don't want to know what you do outside of church. See, that's the problem is we got people coming here for an experience. I hate that word. I really do. I know you can have an experience, but if we limit God to an experience, and there's no lifestyle that follows it. So we got people that come to church but don't leave still being the church. And they leave church here. They say, well, I went to church. And then they go to their work and they don't realize they're still the church. You're still a believer. You're still a kingdom citizen. So we need to act like one. And so we see people that have gifts, but there's no fruit following it up. And Jesus made a very bold statement that we'll end up looking at that said, uh, you're going to come to me and you're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not do? And he's going to say, but you wouldn't be. See, he's not so much concerned with what you do. because You can't even be saved by works in the first place. It's about who you become. And you wouldn't be in love with someone. You wouldn't uh, show someone peace and joy. You wouldn't show someone how to... Uh, put aside anxiousness and, and depression. So I don't want to hear about what you did. I don't want to hear about all the people you won to the kingdom, and I don't want to hear about all the miracles you did and all the signs and wonders that followed your 
ministry, what he's looking for is that character and that conduct. Amen? Well, tonight we're going to go, uh, I really just have two main passages, um, and they are passages. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of words. You know, on my Wednesday nights, I try to tend to keep it in a Bible study mode. It really, it's really what it is, is Wednesday night Bible study. And I understand that this stuff, I'm not spitting out verses to you like crazy and, and you're having to chew on a million different things. I want, you, I, I want to keep it simple and I want to stay in a vein. If I sound repetitive, I'm trying to be, okay? So I hope I am. Um, if I'm saying things that you've heard before, good, because you probably didn't get it the first time anyways. Um, and this isn't stuff that you can suck through a straw. This isn't, you know, this isn't your, you know, quick, let me get my protein shake of the word today. This is the meat of the word. And so you got to chew that stuff, okay? This is stuff that you're chewing on and, you know, we're digesting it and we're savoring it. Um, Sundays is a little bit different because, you know, a lot of times uh, for churches um, in general, your Sunday services are a little more broad. You got people that don't always come to church or you get people that come to church for the first time. You get visitors. That's your typical Sunday service, but your Wednesdays, those are your hardcore people. Those are your people that are in church, faithful, um, and want to know the Word and want to grow up in the Word, and so that's why we take a little more time there. Um, if it seems instructional and more like a classroom, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to accomplish. So let's go to Psalms chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start there. I'm going to lay a quick foundation. A lot of this is going to be stuff that you've heard before. Um, So just bear with us, and uh, we'll get to where we're going. Tonight, I'm going to connect some things. Tonight, tonight we're going to... Anyone ever play that game as a kid uh, where you connect the dots and then you create an image? You know, that's what we're going to do. We're going to connect the dots. We still do it. Hey, that's a good game. It's a good game. And we're going to connect some dots, and we are going to draw some lines, and we're going to see some stuff in God's Word tonight. Amen? Psalms chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Verse 5, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Does this sound familiar? You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Is this sounding familiar? Does this sound like Genesis chapter 1, verse 26? Okay. So what David is doing here, and let's go up to, um, let's go up to verse 4. What David here is doing is, he's, this is a worshipful psalm, but he's not just worshiping God and proclaiming who God is. He's worshiping God in what God has done with man. And in verse 4, he says, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. He's saying, out of all your creation, out of everything you've put on the earth, what is man? What have you done with man? What, why does man seem to be on a different level? So look at verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him. Everyone say crowned him. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Now that word glory, that glory is actually the word weight and authority. You have crowned him with authority. You have crowned him with weight. You have crowned him with the ability to rule. But now look at this. This may be the first time you've seen this. I know I was talking with Kirk earlier tonight, so he's going to be excited with me on where I'm going because he knows where I'm going with this. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. What you have to understand about your Bible is it has been translated. And how many of you have ever heard of lost in translation? 
Things get lost in translation. Okay? So, we need to be studiers of the Word. And I'm going to help you out tonight. Because that word angels is not the word angels. That word angels. If you take it back, I'm excited about it. If you take that word angels back to the original Hebrew, it is the word Elohim. Elohim is Jehovah or God. Our translators dumbed it down for us. But that word is you have made him a little lower than God. Wow is right. That is not the word angels. In fact, the Bible has numerous passages that the angels work for us. The angels are there to guard you. The angels are there to protect you. The angels are there to minister to you. The angels are there to bring healing to you. The angels are there to watch for your life. And you say, well, I don't know about that because my life has been a mess and you don't know what's been happening to me. You don't know what they've been doing for you. You don't know how many stoplights they turned on real quick so you didn't run into an intersection and get smashed. You don't know how many times what the warfare that's taking place right above your head that they are watching for your very life. So that's angels. But that word is not angels. The translators obviously thought that was way too great to take on, that God would make us a little lower than himself. But if you look at Genesis, it says that we are made in His image and in His likeness. I want to walk you through something real quick. I don't have these passages on the screen. You do not have to turn there. You can write them down. But I'm going to walk you through something. In Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, God says, God says, and let the earth bring forth grass and every herb yielding seed. Genesis chapter 1, he speaks to the earth, and he says, let the earth bring forth grass, and every herb yielding seed. That's where we get trees, that's where we get crops. And in fact, in that verse, he sets in motion the whole cycle of the earth brings forth a crop, the crop bears a seed, the seed goes into the earth and repeats the entire cycle. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. God says, He speaks to the water and He says, Let the water bring forth living creatures. Let the water bring forth the fish. Let the water bring forth every creature that lives in the water. He's speaking to the water. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. He speaks to the earth again and He says, Let the earth bring forth animals. Okay? So in Genesis 1.24, he says, let the earth bring forth animals. Notice what he's been doing here. God, when he wants to see something in the earth, speaks to what can bear that. God, when he wanted stars, he spoke to the sky. When he wanted fish, he spoke to the water. When he wanted grass and all the yielding crops, he spoke to the earth. God speaks to what is holding it to bear that fruit out. Now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. What's he doing? God is speaking to the thing that is holding what he wants to see. So when he went to create man, he spoke to what he was holding what was holding man himself. Now, yes, God created man out of the dust of the ground, out of the earth, but there was something different about what... Because you notice flesh came out of the earth. 124, he said, let the earth bring forth animals. Let the earth bring forth the flesh. So, yes, he created man, the flesh, out of the earth. But what did he place in man that was different than everything else? His spirit. His image, His likeness. Remember, we said, you know, that wasn't image like physical structure. I want His face to look like my face. I want His bone structure. I want His body type and His chest and, and His arms. God knows that I probably don't look like what God looks like on the outside. Okay? But when He said image and likeness, He said 
character, their conduct, their thought process, their mentality, their ability to rule. In fact, if you notice, you are a three-part being. Who else is a three-part being? God. He is spirit. He is the Word, His Son, Jesus. And He is the Holy Spirit. We are the only three-part beings in creation. Not even Satan is a three-part being. Not even angels are a three-part being. Not even de- we are the only ones that are exactly duplicated, replicated to look like... I mean, when God created man, his canvas was a mirror of his face. That's where he had to start with. He had nothing else to go off of. So he says, let us make man. So I'm laying this foundation because you have to understand that what we just read in Psalms chapter 8. Let's go back there to Psalms chapter 8, verse 5. Verse 4. Let's do verse 4. Psalms chapter 8, verse 4. This is David speaking. And he says, Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8, verse 4. I'm all over the place, I know. What is man that you are mindful? David's saying, what, what is different about man? Why did you create man? Why is man like nothing else on the face of this planet? Why is man not like the animals. Why does man uh, seem to be able to have uh, authority and, and be able to rule over these things and call the shots and, and have the ability to make choices? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Verse 5. <clears throat> For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. When he says that he made you a little lower than the angels, he's saying, you have, I have made you a little lower than me. That word angels is not the word angels. The translators dumbed it down. When the translators saw this, they said, wow, that's, are you serious? And that word angels in the Hebrew is actually Elohim. And Elohim means God, Jehovah. So that actually says, for you have made him a little lower than God. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. The word glory means weight and authority. It means rulership. I know I'm blowing some of your heads off right now. You're not going to hear this in a lot of churches. But that is the word. That word angels is the word Elohim, which is translated God. Okay, if you have a Bible that's got a center column reference, if you have a Bible that's got, uh, you know, helpful stuff on there, you will probably find that. Okay, and if you look, if you have a center column reference that takes you to other passages, it probably has Genesis one twenty six listed in there as well. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 6. Verse 6, you have made him to have dominion, have authority have control, to be able to manage over the works of your hands. Who created the earth? Who owns the earth? God. But who's managing and controlling it? Man. Now, here's what you got to notice. When Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't only mess up man. Here's where we're going. He did not only mess up man. Adam and Eve and the... The stuff they did and, and eating that fruit, they didn't just mess us up for the rest. Because how many of you notice there's leaf falling off, leaves falling off of trees? There's animals that are dying. Grass dies. How many of you got some dead grass right now? We're in that season, I know. I know. There's famines, there's droughts. There's storms, there's hurricanes, there's tornadoes. And then on top of that, We have the systems in the world failing. We have government systems falling apart. We have economic systems, political systems, healthcare systems. Uh, Every industry you can think of is corrupt. Uh, Media, entertainment, sports, schools, all of it falling apart. So when Adam and Eve sinned, here's what happened. Adam and Eve were in a position of dominion over the works of God's hands. The earth was designed 
to operate under man's authority. But we know when man sinned, somebody else took over. Man didn't just give up his authority so everything does what it wants to do. Remember I said, even though you think you're doing what you want to do, you're really just giving in to someone else, the devil. The devil is in control and is the God of this earth, the God of this world. He became the God, okay? So the way that the earth was originally designed, it is no longer operating that way. There was a system put in place. See, God knew what he was doing. But the way that he intended it for it to be is not happening anymore. So now we have something that was designed to operate one way, and now it's having to operate a different way. And how many of you know um, that doesn't really work well for a lot of things? How many of you can think of stuff that was designed for one thing and now... You try to use it for another thing. I mean, I've done that in my life. You try to, I mean, I, you know, there you go. There you go. How many of you have ever tried to use a spoon as a fork? Don't work. The other day I tried to eat a steak with just a fork because the knife was all the way in the kitchen and I didn't want to, so I just tried to, and I finally got tired of doing that, so I had to. Get up and walk in? No. I mean, I don't eat those pink steaks, so mine was pretty well. And I'm trying to... Uh, and it was either that or stab it with a fork and shove it in my mouth, right? Yeah. Pick it up with my hands. Carry a pocket knife. Yep, I should have done that. Okay? So when something is operating outside of the way it was designed to operate... Now we've got a problem. And so the world is failing. The earth is falling apart. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. God has made you a little lower than him. Why? Because he needed to make sure that the earth that he created, the earth that he owns. Look, when you own something and you give someone else control over it, you want to make sure that they are well capable to have control over it. Camden will not be driving my car when he's eight. I own the car. He has not the ability to be able to control the car properly, to manage the car properly. So he created man a little lower than himself because he needed to make sure I've got to put everything inside of man to make sure that the earth that I have created operates appropriately. Operates the way. So he gave him his ability to rule. He gave, him, he gave Adam his ability to make decisions. He gave Adam his ability to create and to speak into things. You've got to think about it. You've got animals roaming around on the planet for five days and they don't know what they are. Because it wasn't until day six that he named, or, you know, day, day six that God creates man, and then after that he gives him the instruction to name them. This is the authority and the ability that Adam and Eve had. We cannot look at what was around us today and what we see today and think, yeah, this is, this is what God wanted. It's not even close. In fact, salvation is not even what God wanted. We've got to get beyond that. Romans chapter 8, we've been here quite a bit, and we're going to get a little further today. And So let's start with verse 14, because you're asking, How is this, what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? This has everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Today what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you that living spiritual is not just about being a spiritual person. That's what I'm going to do. Today I'm going to show you that having the Holy Spirit live within you is not just so you can live a good life and make good choices for yourself. Today, I'm going to show you that the Holy Spirit is required in your life so you can get this world back in order. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. That's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks now. A life of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within you to help you make 
choices to help you fulfill your assignment, to help you live out good character and good conduct. So if you are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. What's he doing? He's just telling you this is a qualification of the sons of God. This is a qualification of people that I am father over and that I call my children. They are led by my Spirit. They are led. When I tell them to do something, they do it. Here's what being led by the Spirit means. You cannot be led by your flesh. We are a three-part being. You cannot be led by your flesh, which is, when I say flesh, I mean your desires. Your natural desires, your natural appetite. Okay, and we've been talking about that for weeks now. You cannot be led by your flesh. You cannot be led by your soul. See, there's three-part being. You've got two out of three are fighting against the Spirit. And your soul is, your mind, what you think about something. Your will, what you want to do. And your emotions, your feelings. You cannot be led by your emotions. You cannot be led by how you feel. You cannot be led by what you think about something. You cannot be led by your desire to do something even though you know you shouldn't do it. Okay? To be led by the Spirit means you are led by the Spirit. Okay? Let me figure out what verse we want to go to next. Let's go down to verse 19. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now verse 19 says, For I consider, no, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Here's our connection. A son of God is someone that is led by his spirit. That is not led by how I feel. I'm not led by my emotions. I know I'm sad right now, but I'm going to be excited. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I know I'm depressed, but I am not going to be depressed. I I know who I am in Christ. Anxiousness can't overcome me. Worry and fear can't overcome me. How I feel... I feel sickness coming on, but I thank God that He's my healer and I walk in supernatural healing in my flesh. Okay? That's someone that's led by the Spirit of God. Those are the sons of God. Now here in verse 19 it says, the earnest expectation of creation, earnest expectation, eagerly waits for the revealing of, of people that are led by the Spirit of God. Why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they were no longer led by the Spirit of God, and the, wor- the world systems broke. You could basically say that the system of the world, and the way it was operating, broke, fell apart. That's what happened. So now this world is striving and is eagerly waiting and is in anxious expectation for what? People that will be led by the Spirit of God. Now we know there are things happening in this world that are not of God's Spirit. That are not what God intended. I mean, we just listed a bunch of them. So this world is waiting for someone to get into politics that will be led by the Spirit of God. This world is waiting for someone to get into the sports industry that will be led by the Spirit of God. This world is waiting for someone to get into our school systems that will be led by the Spirit of God. Your workplace is waiting for someone that will be led by the Spirit of God. Do you see where we're going with this? This is the connection. See, this whole spiritual lifestyle is not just about me feeling spiritual and and God's happy with me and God's pleased with me and I'm obeying God. It's about affecting where you're at. Because the system and the place that you're in is broken. And you've been given the ability to fix it. The world is waiting. Look at this uh, further on down. Paul goes on a little bit. Let's go to verse 20. For the creation 
was sub- subjected to fertility. Not willingly. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope of what? In hope that God will be able to place his spirit back in man and get the world back to where it needs to be. Now we know this. I'm going to go ahead and, go ahead and put this disclaimer out there. We're not going to fix every issue. We know that the Bible shows that this thing is getting worse before it gets better. But we still have a requirement and an obligation and a responsibility to bring the character of God into this world. And you can fix where you're at. There will be a day where God's kingdom does come back to this earth and does reign again. And everything will be back the way it will be. Revelation chapter 21. How many of you growing up had heard uh, there will be uh, no more tears, no more pain, there will be uh, gates uh, the size of gemstones and golden streets? We've all heard that. What am I talking about? We're talking about heaven, right? Did we all just skip over verse 1? And I, John, saw the new Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven to the earth. We all skip over that. I'm not going to go there tonight. (laughs) I'm not going to go there tonight. But we do know that God's kingdom will come in full fruition. But what God is saying is I've placed my kingdom within you. I've placed the Holy Spirit within you to change where you're at. Change your home. Change your kids. Change your workplace. Change the places that you have influence and control over. That's what he's asking for. And then he's looking for people that will be led by the Spirit to get into places. Look, the church is not to be separated from government. The church is supposed to get into the government and change it. I just saw a video... um, just a couple days ago, and it was all in Spanish, so I couldn't understand a thing they were saying. But it was it was Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez, one of my favorite baseball players, who has done steroids twice, retwi- retired to get out of the, the second one. I mean, he's, you know, serving suspensions. Uh, he had a, a problem. He had a run-in with his wife. And went to jail for that just a couple of years ago. And what was what was in the tagline in English was that Manny Ramirez accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he was standing in front of a church giving a testimony with his family, with his wife and his two kids. It was all in Spanish. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. I have no idea what he was saying. But people were clapping. Uh, he was on the verge of tears. And that just excited me because that is what God is... He's not wanting to get the Christians over here in their little box and let the world do their thing. He's called us the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Doesn't mean get in there and rough it up with them and you know, show them that you're, you're no better than they are. It shows them that they can be as good as you. That's what He's calling us to do. And too many uh, Christians have dumbed it down and justify their sinful lifestyle, well, you know, I'm just trying to relate to the world. Jesus didn't do any of that stuff and was able to relate with sinners with no problem. And he didn't hang out with them and party with them. He went to those things and showed them, look, my lifestyle is way better than yours. You need to come to my side. He did that with Zacchaeus. He did that with Matthew. He pulled Matthew, a tax collector, a stealer and a cheater. Yeah. That's who Jesus would hang. Jesus didn't go and find... He did not hang out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He did not find the most religious person to say, this person will get me. In fact, those people didn't get him at all. But what did he do? He went in and got people that were in the world and showed them, I've got a better life for you. And those 12 people ended up changing the world. And beyond that. That's what God is trying to do. Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This is talking about the consummation, the very end. But verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors 
with birth pains together until now. What is labor and birth pains? It is, yeah, it's out. It is, it is a process of trying to push something out. So the world is waiting and expecting, expecting like an expected mother trying to push out the sons of God. So the things that we're seeing in the world, the, the, the issues and the problems, the storms, the, the, uh, the acts of God, as people like to call them, these things are happening because they, the world is trying to reveal the sons of God. You, it's like the earth is pregnant with spirit-led people, and these things are happening, these groanings and these painful things are happening in the world trying to reveal who's the spirit-led person that's going to stand up and change this. i give you an example. Jesus tells his disciples to go to the other side. On their way in the middle of the night, a storm comes. Jesus is at the bottom of the boat sleeping. A storm that could have taken their lives. These are fishermen. They don't freak out over some rain and some winds. They're out in the middle of the sea with a destination in mind and they're concerned about a storm. And what does Jesus do? Paddle faster? Bring in the sails? No. He stands on the edge of the boat and he says, Peace, be still. That storm was waiting for someone to be led by the Spirit of God to come in and change the situation. We see this stuff every day. We see this stuff all the time. This stuff is a regular occurrence in our world because the system is broken. I mean, the entire world, the entire earth, every system known to man is in a perpetual state of trying. you understand that? We have men right now in government that are trying to fix something that's broken. I'm telling you, the guy that's in there now can't fix it. The guy that was in there before can't fix it. And the people that are coming up next this year can't fix it. God can. What would happen if we got a president that was led by the Spirit of God and that would, before crisis would say, you know what, guys, I don't have the answer to this. Well, let's pray. Because someone does have the answer. What would happen? In a broken system, in a broken, something that's operate, operating in a mode of try. Let's try to fix it. This ain't a Republican thing or a Democrat. This is a kingdom thing. This is a government that is not of this world, is what Jesus said. I do have a kingdom, but it's not of this world. It's of somewhere you can't see. And I am a king. Let's go on. Verse 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. What's that mean? That means that your spirit man on the inside is doing the same thing. You know why? Because your spirit man knows what it's capable of doing. Your spirit is already clued in. Your spirit is already as close to God as you can get. Your spirit is there. Your spirit knows what you can change. Your spirit knows the influence you have. Your spirit knows the power that is contained within it. But it is stuck down behind all this flesh and behind your mind and behind your will and behind your emotions and your desires. And so your spirit on the inside is just groaning, knowing if I could just get rid of this flesh, if I could just put down my mind and, and what I want to do and how I feel and my emotions that... I could do something in this world. I could change. So just the way the world is groaning with expectation, so is your spirit man groaning with the same expectation. And if we would just allow our spirit to take control, allow our spirit to have the final say. 
Verse 24, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. What's he saying? Once you see it, then you don't have to hope for it. If I'm hoping for $100 and someone gives me $100, I'm no longer hoping for it. Okay? For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. 26. Likewise. Here we go. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. What are our weaknesses? For we do not know. Bible says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. You are weak where you don't know. That's why I will preach everything. Because what I don't preach to you will kill you. And what I don't preach to you and what I don't preach from this pulpit and what I don't talk about because I'm too afraid or not bold enough to take a stance or I don't want to run any people off, that's where the enemy will attack you. If I refuse to touch finances and money and what the Word has to say about it, then he will attack you in your finances and in money because you don't have the knowledge to combat the enemy. Okay? Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groaning. So the Holy Spirit, look, when the Holy Spirit, when it says that He helps, that doesn't mean instead of. That means along with. See, if, if I ask Jimmy to help me move this podium and then when he gets here I walk and let him carry it did did he help me no he just he did something for me to help means you cooperate with the bible talks about yielding to the holy spirit who has ever yielded into merging traffic a yield sign is not a stop sign when you yield that means you keep going. See, the Holy Spirit is our helper, but it's along with our cooperation. That means when the Holy Spirit comes, you yield to him, which means, okay, I was going this direction. He's saying go this way, so now I'm yielding with and I'm going. I don't just stop and say, okay, Holy Spirit, take it. It's not where the Holy Spirit's there. A lot of people are disappointed with the Holy Spirit and feel that he's failing them. Because they don't keep moving with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is your helper. He comes alongside you with cooperation and you continue to yield to the Holy Spirit. It means I'm moving with Him. Whatever He's telling me to do, I do. Whatever choice He tells me to make, I make. Whoever He tells me to talk to, I talk to. Whatever He tells me to say, I'll say. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, a lot of believers, we... Uh, especially Pentecostals, you know, will take this as a stance of, you know, the Holy Spirit helps you by, you know, praying in tongues. And that is certainly helpful because the Holy Spirit knows what to pray and he has a way to utter that. And that is praying in tongues, in an unknown tongue. But this is talking about groanings. Sometimes when we pray, we're just crying out. And we don't know what we're saying. We don't really know what direction we're going in, but the Holy Spirit is within you, speaking to your spirit, man. And you're accomplishing something. But that's the Holy Spirit coming alongside you. Helping you in what you don't know. In your weaknesses. That's your weakness. Let's finish it out. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that awesome? That when he's praying for you, it's according to God's will. That's something good to know. There's a lot of people that don't have God's will at heart. Have their own will. But thank God the Spirit of God has the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That's a popular verse. 
we know that all things work for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has come to live, reside, and dwell within us to make God's life and God's character available to us. Because remember, go back to the beginning of this thing. You can't do what you're supposed to do in this earth without the Holy Spirit. So now, wherever we go, whatever we do, we carry the kingdom with us. We carry the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And that is to make influence. You have an area of influence. We all have an area of influence. The thing about influence is it can go good or bad. You can be a bad influence on somebody, or you can be a good influence on somebody. But we all have that influence. In fact, there's probably some of us in this room right now that we were influenced by somebody. Some for good and some for bad. And we know what that role of influence can take. But we have the Holy Spirit living within us to always help us be a good influence. Look, you know, there's times when I'm studying this out and I struggle a little bit because it just sounds so simplistic and so simple and easy. But it just really is. That's why the Holy Spirit is in our life. And I don't have to make it this high thing that you need to obtain to. He's already placed the Holy Spirit within you. If you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, if you made Him the Lord of your life, if He's your Savior, and you've come into the kingdom, He brought the Holy Spirit with that. Jesus introduced you. He said, Hi, I'm Jesus. I want you to meet somebody. Jesus said, It's better for me if I go because I got someone to put inside of you that will walk with you and live with you and talk with you every day. And that's what I want. I want believers that can dwell with the Holy Spirit daily. He's helping you make choices on the job. He's helping you make choices as a spouse. He's helping you make choices as a, as a parent. He's helping you make choices as a child and as a student. That's what we want. I'm not going to just talk to you about Jesus. I'm not just going to talk to you about God and, and shy away from the Holy Spirit because people don't understand Him. I want you to understand Him. I want you to know how to live with Him and talk with Him. And make him a part of your daily life. You know, back over in um, Romans 8.14, it said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And that word led is perpetual. That means for as many as are continually being led. Daily basis. Daily walking with God. Daily walking with the Holy Spirit. Daily building that relationship. That's what we need. Amen? Father, we thank you for this word tonight.